I took this off of a lady's porch. It's beautiful. And the lady, I took it to the early service too, and the lady came in, and uh, as she walked up beside me, and if you're visiting with me, it was my wife. I took that off of our porch, and then she looked at it. Y'all, there's millions of orange pumpkins out there. So Lana stands beside me and looks at it. I've got it on up there. She said, you took that off my porch. I said, yes, I did. <laughs> then I had to confess even worse. I said, there was one, you know, that was really that big fat one. It was sort of spread out. Yeah. I said, well, I reached and I grabbed the vine and it broke off. That was my favorite. I said, well, I'll replace it. I will find another one that looks just like it. So if y'all got one about this big, it's sort of flat, I, I'll pay you big for it. But anyway, I'm going to return it. I'm going to take it back. But I hope I can get this one back in one piece. The sermon title this morning is The Vine. And so I do have that here for an illustration. You know that pumpkins, if you've ever grown any, or maybe you haven't, but they grow on a vine, but you've probably gone into a field and picked one right out of the field. They have them in different places on Sand Mountain that you can go and actually pick them out and pick out a pumpkin of your own. Many of you have already got some pumpkins, but you know they grow on vines. Now, more than likely, Jesus probably wasn't talking about pumpkins when he mentioned the vine. More than likely, he was talking about grapes and so forth when he mentions this illustration about the vine. This is one of Jesus' I am statements. Let me give you a little trivia. This is the last of seven did you know, and most of you probably do, that there are seven I am statements in the book of the Gospel of John? So this is the seventh one. Do you know what the others are? Now, I've got a cheat sheet here because I couldn't remember them either, but I preached on this before, but I'm just going to share with you the seven other I am statements. So John declared that Jesus declared, I am. First one was he said that I am the bread of life. It's in 6.35. In John 8.12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Then in 10.9, he said, I am the door. I'm the door of the sheep. If any sheep come in, they will have to come through the door, for I am the door. And then in 10.11, John 10.11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I am. The next I am, the fifth one, he said at a funeral, coming to the graveside to minister to the family of Lazarus. And he said to them, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. Why? Because I am the resurrection and the life. The disciples were struggling about Jesus dying and going to heaven. He kept telling them it had to happen. So he comforted them in John 14. And this is the sixth I am statement. When he said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Then today, he said, I am the vine. Let's talk about the vine today. I've shared this story with you before, but anytime I read this story in John 15, I think about this story when I was 11 years old. My dad said, we're going to cut down that peach tree. He'd already cut down a couple of them. Dad had pear trees, peach trees, we had them all, but these peaches we had, and this particular tree was huge. He said, we're going to go cut it down. He'd already started a brush pile. And so we took the chainsaw, and we cut it up and cut out all the branches and just piled them up on that brush pile. And he took kerosene and 
sloshed it all up on the brush pile and he took a match and he threw it on the fire and it burned and I remember feeling the heat off of it because it was summertime but we we burned up those trees and we burned up that peach tree and I don't have to tell you why we ended up cutting it down and burning it you do know why because it was not a perfectly good peach tree it had not produced in a while Daddy gave it every chance he could. He fertilized it. He would trim it back. He did all the things you're supposed to do for fruit trees you do, but it just never, never did produce any fruit. So he, he cut it down, threw it in a fire. I cannot read this story, but think about that story when I read John 15. Now I want you to notice, because our theme for our stewardship and generosity this year is bearing fruit for the kingdom, I want you to notice when I read in John 15 how many times Jesus uses the word fruit in this story. So here it is, John 15. I'm reading from the New King James, and I'll begin reading in verse 1 through 8. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away that is God takes away and every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit you are already clean he's talking to the disciples when he's saying this and he looks at them and says you're already clean you're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you Isaiah said who hath believed our report you and I are saved this morning because we believe. We took the word seriously that he died on the cross for my sins, that I could accept it. So he looks at the disciples and says, you're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Then he says in verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch, he goes back to talking about the branch and the fruit. He says, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine and neither can you unless you abide in me and then Sheila shared the scripture she read it out of the NIV and again I'm reading from the New King James but in John 15 5 Jesus said I am the vine and you are the branches he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. What a visual. Then he says in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words, my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it should be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples did you count how many times the word fruit was used I counted six and I shared that in the early service six but I had a very wise young man who came up to me after the service this morning and said there's seven fruit is mentioned seven times I said it's Barbara Condra's son-in-law it was Jay Hedgepath so uh, yours too, Mark. I said, Mark, I, I said, I, 
I can't, I'm, I'm almost positive. He said, no, go back and look in the text. I said, well, maybe you read it out of a different translation. I said, I promise. I, and I highlighted it. I put it in bold. There are six times Jesus mentioned fruit. And old smarty Jay said, go back and look at your text. So I did. And I'm reading down there. He said, look at what it says in two. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. He said, prunes is a fruit. So Jay Hedgefast. So if I'd have had a jar of prunes, I'd have had them up here so y'all could remember that. But he's right. He's right. There are seven. So Jesus mentions fruit six times, but prunes one time. I don't even know if they had prunes in Israel in that day and time. Smart Alec. But it does raise an important question for me and for you. In what ways am I bearing fruit for Jesus Christ? If I, I got to get that from this story. I've got to, if I take it personally, what am I doing to bear fruit for the kingdom? I encourage you to ask yourself the same thing. That is our theme for generosity, bearing fruit in God's kingdom. This is a powerful, powerful visual. It is a reminder to me and you that we are utterly dependent upon the vine. I've heard sermons on this many times. I've preached a lot of sermons from John 15. I've preached several since I've been here. Tyler preached one not long ago. So I've heard this passage. But the truth, the truth that it reveals always convicts me. I, I can't read. In fact, I quote John 15, 5 a lot. Just to remind myself. Are we, I am the vine, Jesus says, and you're a branch. And apart from me, you can't bear fruit. In fact, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's a beautiful story, but it's kind of a, a sobering illustration because we get it. Can or should this story cause you and I to consider if we're good stewards or not? In other words, if we are fruit bearers of our time, of our talent, of our treasures, yes. Absolutely, not just because we're having the generosity theme right now. No, I mean, you cannot read that and not think, am I being a steward of what God has given me? What does it mean to bear fruit? What does it mean that a branch should abide in the vine? Why does Jesus emphasize the need for us to abide in him? And we also read in there that God is a fruit inspector. God's a fruit inspector. He knows. He knows what kind of fruit I'm producing or not. I eat an apple every day. When I turned 50, I decided to get on an apple kick, and I hadn't missed too many days. I've missed one or two. That's a lot of apples. And a lot of times I eat two apples a day. I've learned to inspect apples pretty good. In fact, this is a gala apple. To me, they stay crisper longer than any other apple. Now, I like Red Delicious, the different ones, wine sap. They're all good. I like apples, but I eat one almost every day. But I inspect them when I go, when the Johnsons or wherever, to Walmart. And I look at them, and I can tell by looking at it. And don't tell me you hadn't reached up there and tested a fruit before, thumped the watermelon, because you want to test it. 
I don't like a mealy apple, although I've eaten a lot of them, but most of the time I try to make sure I don't get a mealy apple. That means it's mushy already on the inside. This one's not. You can just tell by tapping on it. I won't bite it and eat it, but some of y'all want it, but you're not going to get it. This is my apple. God is a fruit inspector. He knows what kind of fruit that we produce in our lives. About seven and a half years ago, the church here, Gadsden First, went through a book by Bishop Robert Snaves called Five Practices of Fruitful Congregations. Do you remember that? Do some of you remember going through that book? It's a very popular book. I have the book. I still refer to it sometimes, but I'm really going to refer to it over the next few weeks because I was at Camp Simatonga last week, and Robert Snaves was there. He wrote this book, Five Practices of Fruitful Congregation, 10 years ago. Now he's doing a revision, but he's not taking away the five basic adjectives and the five principles, and I'm about to share them with you. And they are in your, you've got them there in your announcement sheet, and I even made it easier. I ran copies, and some of you may have picked them up. They're out here on this table in the back. You can pick one up when you leave. That are, have about two paragraphs on each of these that I'm about to share with you. So you can read it. Pick one up at the back. It just says, Five Practices of Fruitfulness, Robert Schnees. And here they are. And I'll just remind you in case you forgot them. Or if you've never even heard of the book, if you will just read that sheet of paper that's out there, when you're going to get one when you leave, if you will take five minutes to read that, you'll be, you'll be up to speed. You'll know exactly what these five practices are all about. And if you'll take it and read it a couple of times this week and meditate on it, which I'm going to keep challenging you to do over the next three weeks, because these five practices are biblical and they're never going to go away. So here they are. First one is hospitality. God wants us to be hospitable. We might use the word kind. Uh, we might use the word being a good visitor when somebody visits and you welcome them, a good welcomer. But he uses the word hospitality. The second one is worship. All through the Bible, God wants you and I to worship Him. The third one is faith development. The fourth one is mission or service. And the fifth one is generosity. Churches all over use that word now because of this book. Extravagant generosity. Here's the adjectives in front of them. Radical hospitality. Every member of the church is supposed to be involved in radical hospitality. You're to invite, when you see somebody visiting, you let them know we were glad to have you here. That's just common sense. But we have to be reminded of it. So radical hospitality, passionate worship, intentional faith development. You may use a different word for faith development, but it's the same discipleship. Spiritual formation. Those are just other preacher words that we use. But faith development. But are you intentional? Are you intentional about faith development? Risk-taking mission service and extravagant generosity. Dr. Schnee's reminded us you could take those five adjectives and you could put them in front of another one and still make sense. Extravagant hospitality and radical generosity. But the five will remain the same. Hospitality, worship, faith development, mission service, and generosity. The five adjectives, though, depend upon you entering into that and staying close to the vine. So you'll bear fruit for the kingdom. Again, you can read those, and I want you to. Take five, ten minutes and just read them and mull over. He emphasized something. I'm going to give you an illustration. Five practices. Now, you, you, in other words, you've got to keep practicing these things 
in order for them to develop and be in your life. You've got to keep practicing. Did you know that Benny McNair has been playing our organ 31 years? Is that right? 32. He hadn't known it. Rhonda's been playing the piano. I don't know how long. J.T. Harrell, he played the organ the other day. None of them ever practiced. They, I mean, he learned it 31 years ago. He doesn't practice the organ anymore. He just comes in here and plays. Well, y'all know that's not true. They'll come up here sometimes on Friday, Friday night, Saturday. He knows how to play that. But he comes in, he practices. And he goes over the hymns that are picked out. And Russ, and he plays them and he practices. J.T. Harrell was nervous when he was going to play the organ here a few weeks ago. He practiced all week. But he knew how to play it. I came in here and talked to him. It sounded beautiful. He just kept practicing. I love baseball. I played all my life. And then I played softball until I was 49 until I tore my ACL. But I love baseball. I'm watching Houston and the Dodgers. They're playing. Houston didn't win last night. So now the series is tied 2-2. By the way, I'm pulling for Houston. I really don't care. But you got to pull for somebody. So I don't want the Dodgers to win. But if you were to ask a major league player. If you came up and you asked him, uh, do you ever take batting practice? You know what they'd say. No. I learned that back in high school. I know how to bat. I'm a professional. You know that's not what they'd tell you. In fact, if you watched the pregame show last night, they were taking batting practice right before the game. They will every game. They will practice year-round. But right before the game, every one of them will get a bat and get eye contact and get the swing down. They just keep practicing. And they keep practicing and they keep practicing because they want to get better because they practice to stay sharp. They keep practicing in order to grow. That's why you and I have to keep practicing. Hospitality and worship and faith development and mission and service and generosity because it matters to the fruit of his people. I hope you're practicing these things in your life. If not, just read that, meditate on it. You get before the Lord and you quote John 15, 5, which I encourage you to memorize. That's a good one to memorize. I am the vine and you are the branches. What's meant by abiding? Sheila read out of the NIV and it translates the word abide because we don't usually use the word abide that often in our regular conversation, but we do know the word remain. So it can be translated to remain. Jesus says, I want you to remain with me. It simply means living by faith in Christ. It means trusting Him. It means resting, resting in Him. It means relying on Him. It means walking with Him. That's the concept. Taking Jesus at His word. That's what abiding means, to remain in Him. Jesus said, if you keep my word, then you will be my disciples indeed. So the word's got to be important because he mentioned it twice in that text. And he told the disciples, you're clean because of the word, but you need to keep practicing. We don't want to end up like a peach tree. See, there's an interesting consequence that flows from abiding. There's an interesting consequence that flows from remaining. It is the bearing of fruit. And, and if we're not careful, we can just easily miss the significance of Jesus' point, which again is abiding produces fruit. The person who abides in Jesus bears much fruit. I know I've said it ten ways, but bearing fruit is about being in relationship. 
How is it with you and Jesus? Last Sunday, I preached a sermon on 40 years, 40 days, and 40 seconds. A lot can happen in that time period. The number 40 is a significant number in the Bible. Now, I'm not going back and preach that whole sermon, but I mentioned to y'all out of working on that sermon, I felt like God wanted me to commit some things to him for 40 days. And so I started that process. I'm about two and a half weeks in now. I chose a, I went up online and I picked up something for 40 days of prayer. Now, there's hundreds of them on there. I was amazed. But some of you asked me, so in the newsletter, I put it in there that if you will go in there and if you will type in, you got to type it in just like I got it in there, 40 days, a journey in prayer, and put PDF. That means it's a printable file. Bible study asked me, I want to, I'd like to know the one you're using. You don't have to use the one I'm using. You don't even have to use a 40-day devotional. But I am, God's doing something. You may have a struggle in your life. You may have a decision you're making. Maybe you need to commit it to God for 40 days. When's the last time you made a commitment that was intentional in your faith development? So that's all I'm doing. I'm being intentional about my own spiritual formation. And I'm committing 40 days. And I'm giving these things to God in prayer. Perhaps the Lord may speak to some of you. Because the key to the 40-day journey in prayer is just to stay connected to the vine. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, without me, Harvey, Harvey, without me, you can do nothing. I read to you earlier, Colossians 1.10. Again, reminds us why we need to stay close to the vine. Colossians 1.10. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. So that you could live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Now that scripture is in your bulletin today. That was our word of grace this morning. You stick close to the vine, you're going to bear fruit and you're going to grow in the knowledge of God. So I leave you with this. Jesus said, remain with me. Remain with the branch. Can't do anything without the vine. Let's pray. God, I've preached on this so many times, and I preach myself under conviction every time I preach it because it's so real. I see it so clear. I need you. And I'm not alone. Every brother and sister here this morning, we need you. And we, we need to be reminded. We've got to stick close to the vine. We've got to remain in the vine. We've got to abide. Whatever it takes, stay in the vine. God, we love you and praise you. Thank you for saying to us, I am the vine. In Jesus' name, amen. The altar is always open. If you have a need, I invite you to come this morning.